What is going on? Happy Tuesday. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's the Pete Callender Show. I'm Pete. Howdy. And uh, if you want to weigh in on any of the topics that we're going to cover today, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. That is Callender with a K. And uh, remember, get the podcast. It's at WBT.com. So I recall listening to Rush for years. He would talk about how media drives narratives, particularly evident in polling stories. Those uh, polls that are commissioned by media outlets specifically, right? They'll go out, put a poll in the field, and then it just sort of generates its own story. I mean, assuming that you get the results that you paid for, I mean, that you expect it, right? So if you put the poll out, uh, let's say, hey, should we spend more money on education? That's always a good one. People generally say yes. When you throw a question to them and and it's open-ended like that, should we spend more on education? People say, oh, yeah, I think we should spend more on education. Sure. Yes. So you end up with these poll results that are wildly divorced from context and information because when people are asked in certain polls, they're then told, well, this is what we spend per pupil. And when people find out how much we already spend per pupil in North Carolina, uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight grand per kid um, and per year. And uh, when you tell them that, all of a sudden now it's, it, it's not quite as attractive to say yes to spending more on education. People change their answers because they get more information. You're assuming, on just asking the first question and only the first question, you're assuming that they have a, a body of knowledge, right, that would inform them rather than just a general perception. So how do people come up with those general perceptions? When it comes to things like how much we spend on education, they come up with these perceptions from the media, right? Usually headlines, little blurbs, 20-second hits on TV news. That's it. That's how most people come to understand various issues that are, you know, in the news, that are making, uh, that are in the zeitgeist, you know, that are, that are in the atmosphere, the news media, which oftentimes does not provide the context required, or if it does, it's so far down in the article, if mentioned at all, uh, it's so far down that people don't get there, so they don't know. But when you put the survey in the field, if you tell them we spend $8,000 per year to educate every child in North Carolina, um, and that does not include uh, the, the supplemental, it doesn't include the, the capital, right? So it's even more than that. But when you tell them that first and then you ask, should we spend more? Most people then turn around and say, no, we're spending about the right amount of money. Context. Sort of like also another example here is the, uh, the public art budgets. You know, Charlotte started doing this 15 years ago where if you're going to do a, a big project, a, a, a you know, city funded project, you're going to stick 1% into public art. 1% of the total budget has to go to public art. Well, 
what does the art look like? What is the context of the project? And how much does that particular piece of art cost? Right? Those, those are all things that you should know rather than just saying, all right, yeah, 1%, that, that, that's fine. Which brings me to the survey that was just published today by WRAL about gun control. Headline, North Carolinians say they want stricter gun laws amid heightened fear of gun violence. WRAL News poll shows. This is a perfect example. How media drives a narrative and cultural change at that. right? How they drive a particular narrative. They blare it out in the headline, and there is a there's a bandwagon effect. People, this is usually uh, you see this sort of stuff after elections as well. When you ask people on exit polling, who'd you vote for, and then you go back later and you ask people who did you vote for after the uh, the the winners have already been sworn in, and you you see a disparity. People say they voted for the winner. It'll, you also see this occur in um, in the late breaks towards one candidate over another. This A good example of this was down in Florida 2000 election. Remember, they started calling uh, the race for Al Gore in 2000 uh, before all of North Carolina, or sorry, all of Florida, the panhandle area, had, uh, had voted. The polls were still open on that, uh, on that western side of the state. And people then got depressed, discouraged, didn't matter. Al Gore's already won, right? So the way media pushes a particular story has an impact on the story. That's why I have very little patience for reporters who uh, pretend that they're not combatants in the political arena. They absolutely are. This is why I say elections are about what media make them. And so here's WRAL's story on the survey, the poll that they did or they commissioned by Survey USA, I believe, is the uh, the company that did it for them. Um, and it was an online poll, and I went and looked at the cross tabs. I pulled the the questions. I have some of them here. Um, headline, or top uh, uh, the the lead sentence, I should say. Most North Carolinians want lawmakers to pass stricter gun laws, according to a new survey of adults. They also fear they or a family member may become a victim of a mass shooting. Now, why would people think that they would be likely? To be a victim of a mass shooting, which is a very rare event. Why would people think that? Right? What? Why do people think that the planet is going to implode in, like, what well, wasn't it supposed to already happen, actually? A couple times. But it'll totally happen in, like, 2030. Is that the new date? I think 2030. And if it doesn't happen in 2030, totally going to happen in 2040. And then you go and you ask people after you've told them these things with headline after headline after headline, you go and you tell them or you go and you ask them, hey, do you think that uh, you know, the, the world is going to implode? There are too many people on the planet or coming ice age, you know, depending on whatever scare headline you're using at any given time. Why would so many people think that they are going to be victims of a mass shooting? A very, very rare event. They don't provide that information to the survey respondents. They don't, they, they don't give them the context. They don't say, these things are very rare. You're more likely to you know, die of all these other things like car accidents and 
uh, falling off ladders or garage doors, swimming pools, all, all of these other things that you are more likely to die from, right? They don't ever give you any kind of context for comparison's sake. The same thing with the COVID debate, right? During COVID, they were talking about all these people um, that are getting sick and they're going to die and all these people who have died. And it was a constant focus on case counts and death tolls and all of that, which I guess we're not doing anymore. I guess Joe Biden did. I guess he did fix that, right? Sort of. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's amazing how nobody cares about that stuff. But I was always saying from the beginning, this is about risk assessment, right? With COVID, it's about risk assessment. What are your comorbidities and What's the risk of your behavior? And you try to minimize the risk, but you can't, you know, you, you can't avoid everybody all the time forever because uh, th- what kind of life is that? We make these types of decisions all the time. You get in the car to drive someplace, you're making a risk assessment, even if you don't even think about it. That is, that's a product of your assessment of the risk. It's worth it for you to go run down to the store and get the gallon of milk, risking life and limb to get the gallon of milk. But people don't put the polling out there that says, you know, are you are you afraid of dying while going to the store to get milk? After, you know, beating you over the head with stories about people who have died in car accidents while running to the store to get milk. They don't do that. So we get this poll instead that just so happens to goose the respondents into a narrative that Democrats prefer. Isn't that amazing how that works out like that? We'll get into more in a minute here. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. Got a tweet. It's a Pete tweet from Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in Clyde. As with all gun control, in polls, the more you get into the specifics, the less people support it. Ask somebody who doesn't understand gun laws if they support universal background checks, and they may say yes. Ask that same person if they think it should be a felony for someone to store their friend's guns in their safe while the friend is out of town on a long trip, you know, so they don't get stolen. Should that person who stores the gun for the friend, should they face a felony? And usually the same person who says, oh, I want universal background checks, they'll say, well, no, that's silly. You shouldn't charge somebody with a felony for storing their friend's gun while they're out on Uh, an extended vacation, but that's what universal background checks do in reality, he says. WRAL, big story today from Brian Anderson and Sarah Kruger uh, on the poll that they commissioned, they paid for, about gun control. To address gun violence, 62% of respondents said they want stricter gun laws. There was no mention to the respondents about what current gun laws are. You hear this a lot, too, when, you know, when people say uh, that anybody, you know, it's easier, to, it's easier to get a gun than to vote. Okay, well, you've never purchased a gun <laughs> because anybody who's ever purchased a gun can tell you it's way harder to get a gun. Legally, of course. Now, if you're talking illegal guns, I have no idea. I've never purchased an illegal gun. From what I see in the movies, it's pretty easy. But, shocker of shockers, criminals don't follow the law. So all I can do is, you know, talk about the legal process. The poll also found 51% of North Carolinians at least somewhat concerned 
about themselves or loved ones becoming mass shooting victims. Again, the likelihood of that occurring is so, so very low. And then they go on to say uh, data from they have some interview, uh, you know, some some sound bites or some quotes here from various people, uh, you know, and all supporting the same general direction. Like they found a gun owner and a Republican voter who said he's afraid that his daughter is going to get killed. Data from the Gun Violence Archive, a nonprofit data collection group that tracks gun violence incidents, identified seven deaths and 30 injuries from eight mass shootings in North Carolina so far this year. Okay? Seven deaths, 30 injuries in eight mass shootings just in our state just this year. What's a mass shooting? How do you how do you define that, WRAO? Oh, no, you're not going to find a definition of that. Sorry. That would be context. See, that would be informative. That would help me make a better decision. So if I were to find out, let's say that uh, a mass shooting is any shooting that involves at least four people and one of them dies. Is that the idea? Uh, that's the I think that's the standard that the Washington Post archived uh, used, and I don't know what this organization is. I do not care to pursue it any further, just noting that they did not define what a mass shooting is. How about this piece of information, also absent from our friends at WRAL? Um, I'm kind of curious. Seven deaths, 30 injuries, eight mass shootings. You don't define what a mass shooting is. Are these at schools? Are these at workplaces? Or are these street crimes? Because anybody who's paying attention, right? We had one over at Eastridge Mall the other day. That would count, right? That would count as a mass shooting. Three people got hit, right? No, nobody died, but three people got hit. Um, Beatty's Ford Road. Those kinds of mass shootings. See, this is the problem when you start talking about gun deaths in general is that the number one gun death Category is suicide. Number two is street crime. Number three is domestic violence. Mass shootings are so rare, but they make a lot of headlines, and that's what drives the narrative. News Talk 1110993 WBT. WRAL put out a survey. To 1,100 adults online in the state of North Carolina, they got a a credibility interval, they call it, uh, 3.2 to 3.8 percentage points. The poll showed overwhelming support for a ban on assault weapons. There again, what is an assault weapon? They did not define it for respondents. They just asked, should we ban them? And overwhelming support. Let me go to the numbers here. I can tell you what the numbers are. I know numbers on the radio is never a great idea. But um, 65% support a ban on assault weapons. I don't know what that means, though. What is an assault weapon? Semi-automatic rifle that looks a certain way that's... Yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't know how you define that. Maybe people have an idea. I've never heard one in this, the stuff I've seen. It's when, when put to, you know, pen to paper to try to define it. 
has been lacking. Though they also, 64% want to limit the number of rounds of ammunition a weapon can hold. So the weapon just holds the one at a time. It's a semi-automatic, right? Isn't that, well, I mean, unless it's a revolver. The magazine, on the other hand, right, that has the round. But they want to ban high-capacity magazines, too. Not mentioned? What's high-capacity? How many is too many? What's the number? Is it is it 11? Is it 15? Like that Scott Huffman candidate said the other day, and I asked him why 15, and he didn't have a reason. He just picked the number, 15. That's it. Yeah, it sounded like a good number. Well, all right. I mean, as long as we're just making up numbers, just arbitrary laws like that. But that's that's the problem with some of this stuff. You're you're asking for general ideas without any kind of background information or knowledge. What else? Um, they want to limit, uh, or sorry, they want to raise the minimum age of assault weapon ownership from 18 to 21. So you can buy a pistol, right? No. Universal background checks, gun confiscation when family members or law enforcement officers prove to a judge that a gun owner poses a significant threat to themselves or others. This is the red flag law. I'm going to get into this. Monday, uh, Tom Tillis and a group of fellow Republicans proposed a separate bill that would increase penalties for felons who illegally possess or use firearms. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. No. Right. Increase the penalties for felons who aren't supposed to be owning firearms. You increase the penalties on them. I did see AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, she's very worried about uh, one of the uh, the pillars of the framework that the, the bipartisan group of senators has come up with. Uh, she's concerned about the reporting of the uh, childhood uh, arrest records and such being part of a background check for someone who turns 18. She says it could be racist. Okay, so that's the problem there. It's racism. So we can't know if somebody has a juvenile record when they turn 18 and then try to purchase a firearm. See, again, if the purpose that you into, I keep saying this, if your purpose is to take guns, is to confiscate guns, your solutions for shootings is going to look different than if your purpose is to try to limit the shootings. Right? If your objective is to try to eliminate mass shootings, particularly at schools, your remedies are going to look different than if your primary objective is to take all the guns. Um, this separatist bill, by the way, would uh, to, to set a minimum five-year sentence for illegally possessing a gun, according to the WRAL story. So let's get into the red flag laws. This is, at, uh, this is from Pointer. The Pointer Institute held a training for journalists. This is a Pointer Institute's a journalism uh, foundation. And so they held a training sponsored by the Joyce Foundation on June 13th to help journalists cover red flag laws. Isn't that nice of them? So helpful. So what first question I have, which, of course, the Pointer Institute does not tell me in their write up on this by Amy Sherman and Hannah Stepnick, they do not tell me, what is the Joyce Foundation? So I went and looked them up. Who's the Joyce Foundation? Oh, it's a social justice foundation. And their entire focus on the gun issue is about 
reducing the availability of guns. That's that's their prime, and that's all they say. So that's their focus. So these are the people that the Pointer Institute went to to teach journalists how to cover guns. Does anybody see a problem with that? I came across this, I believe, the Pointer Institute. I want to make sure, though. Um, I want to say that I had uh, that that I keyed off on the Pointer uh, group here because it was something that was mentioned in the uh, WRAL story. It doesn't matter. Point is, Pointer Institute uh, has this training for the journalists, and it was sponsored by the Joyce Foundation. And so here are the tips that they offer up to the journos. Number one, read the statute. Okay, well, that's just good advice. That is good advice. Read the statute. That's generally good advice for all reporting on legislature uh, legislative action. <laughs> you should generally read the bills before you start reporting on it. Read the statute and interview law enforcement officials about the use of the law and how they document cases that might fall under the red flag law. Number two, go to courtrooms and see who is testifying, police, family members, etc. See who's testifying at hearings and how the judge responds. I mean, if they're open, I assume you can go sit in. Number three, seek statistics on red flag laws from different counties. One option is to single out the county filing the most petitions and see what they're doing right. Or wrong? Well, no, just what they're doing right. Have, by the way, do you think that the Joyce Foundation's mission to reduce the availability of guns, do you think their mission benefits or is harmed by red flag laws? And red flag laws that get abused, that would also benefit their mission, right? Because their mission is reducing the availability of guns. They make no distinction between who's got them. They just want to reduce the availability. I'm just going by what's on their website. Have a conversation in your newsroom about what term you want to use for these laws. Journalists frequently refer to them as red flag laws, but they go by many names, including extreme risk protection orders or ERPOs, E-R-P-O's, ERPO. And uh, one guy quoted here said that they don't, it's a guy, girl, I don't know, uh, that uh, they don't like the term red flag in their newsroom, since the term can have a lot of different meanings and it can be stigmatizing. Hey, um, you're saying someone can't own a gun because they have mental health problems. That's already going to be stigmatizing no matter what name you put upon it. Beware of misinformation about red flag laws, including critics who say they lack due process, which is not accurate. It's not accurate. They, the, the laws, some of the laws, I mean, the framework at the federal level hasn't even been written yet. The idea that red flag laws can be abused. Look, I, I like the concept of the red flag law, but as I've gone over before and I will today as well, I have a lot of questions that would have to be addressed before I just say yes to red flag laws. I'm okay with certain tightly tailored concepts. I, right, I would like to see, um, like, for example, who keeps the list? I'd like to know that. Who keeps the list? How do you get on the list? How do you get off the list? I'd like to know that. That needs to be up front. There have to be safeguards so people don't use it like swatting. You know what swatting is? 
where you call the police on somebody you don't like and you pretend that you're, you just, you know, so I'm so-and-so and I just murdered somebody in my house and I'm, you know, and now I'm suicidal. And then they come in and uh, uh, they kick down your door and probably kill you. I view that as attempted murder. And anybody who engages in that type of activity should be charged with attempted murder because that's the point. Do you think that's not going to happen here? When someone calls up, hey, my ex-boyfriend, uh, he's abusive and uh, he's got the guns and he needs to be taken, you know, the guns need to be taken from him immediately. Like how how tightly tailored are these laws going to be? How strict, right? What kind of loopholes? Devil's in the details. All right, I think the word hero is way overused in today's society, but I just got to tell you, I've got an eyelash in my eye on the right side. I have had it there for like an hour, yet I am still here. Okay. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, a couple of uh, messages here. Joseph says, the reason AOC... Uh, and her uh, and the like are always against gun laws that would have a dis- a disparate impact on minorities is because they don't care about those demographics committing gun crimes, which are by far the vast majority of the gun crimes committed. They care about the, quote, regular Americans having guns. This has nothing to do with mass shootings and everything to do with disarming the public so they can enforce their whims. See Canada, Australia. Uh, Enforce their whims at will or send their woke mob to burn your town if you get uppity about it. Um, Roland says on Twitter, why can we not talk about this issue? It is society not being alert to people in our lives that need help. Parents for 20 years have not been allowed to discipline their children correctly. It's a oh, no problem here. I don't know or see anything. People need help. Well, this is uh, this could be one of the uh, the side effects or the product, primary product, of safetyism. You know, wrapping the kids in bubble wrap, and so then everything triggers some sort of anxiety attack. Resistance to pressure builds strength, you know? How do you prepare somebody to live in the world when you protect them from any kind of trial in their life? Let me go over here to Stan. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the program. What's going on, Stan? Hi, Pete. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Yeah, I want to ask you a question. What do you think about there being a legal definition for mental illness? You could really send uh, specifications out to several several psychologists and psychiatrists and ask them to give you what a legal definition for mental illness would be. And I guarantee you all of the responses would be totally 100% different. Yeah, I mean, this is the, they have something like that, right? The the DSM, right? The uh, the Manual of Disorders, whatever it is, and they changed that just recently to yeah. to delist um, transgenderism, right? So, I mean, they, they 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 make changes like that, but this raises a very good point about how do you define a mental illness that is worthy of taking someone's guns, and then for how long? Like, if they all right, so somebody has a, a depression episode. But then they get on medicine, they they recover, and they don't have any problem with it. So how long do they have to wait, right? Well, well, well okay, first of all, if, if you say God talks to you, are you mentally ill? Or right. say if you don't know what a woman is, are you mentally ill? And then to your point is, 
if you ever got in there, but that would make you prove you weren't mentally ill when they didn't have to prove you were to put you there in the first place. Right. This is my and the, this is my concern. I like if you get if you have a judge that determines you are not uh, uh, not well and you are a threat to yourself and society or something, you are adjudicated to be mentally ill. Right. Then it seems to me like then that would be that would require committing you. And maybe that needs to be the standard. But but again, as one whose default is freedom and not more, not more government, I'm very concerned about giving the courts more control in this uh, in this arena. Yes, correct. And if you really want to stop this mass shooting, when somebody mentally ill did show up with a gun, if there was somebody else there to stop them, that wouldn't even be a problem. Right. And so, well, there again, if you raise that as a counter proposal, does that make you quote mentally ill? And now they can come take your guns because that because oh obviously you're insane because you want to let teachers conceal carry. The, 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 the reality here is everybody knows what this is all about. If you voted for Trump, you're mentally ill. Right. It does. Yeah. And, and I always tell these folks on the left when they try these uh, these power plays, imagine Trump doing it to you, because at some point you're not going to be in power. Someone else is going to be wielding that power against you. But that's the problem. A lot of these people think that they're going to be the ones that come out on top. They're going to have the control over the levers. So, right. yeah, that's Thanks, what I appreciate it, Stan. Thanks. I mean, th- this is this is sort of the the standard that you must weigh these types of ideas and sp- and even specific proposals against. You have to weigh it against a standard of what if my political enemy has this power? Do you want your enemy to have that power? Because they will at some point. And anybody, I've I've been reading some folks um, who have had just a heck of a time trying to get local courts to enforce law, to enforce laws against uh, uh, abusive spouses and and, uh, boyfriends and such. Uh, that are not allowed to own guns, but then live in a house with guns. And the lack of, here's another example. Uh, Fox News, I believe, just has a report. Yeah, here it is, that uh, they got a, a, one of Brett Kavanaugh's neighbors to talk off the, or not off, but uh, uh, anonymously. And they said that they went to the police and the police said they can't enforce anything because what the statute that the protesters in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes, that's a federal law. And so the federal authorities refuse to enforce the law, and, and which is clearly being violated. And not to mention harassing the neighbors who have little kids that they're trying to put to sleep at 7 o'clock at night. And that's when these moon bats show up out in front of the house and start banging on the drums and cursing through megaphones. It is, what they are doing is against federal law, and the federal authorities will not enforce it. So... No, I don't have a lot of confidence. And this is the problem when you erode the institutions, almost as if by design. When you erode the institutions via postmodernist philosophy, this is what you get. Nobody has confidence. Nobody has trust. There's there's no consistent application of standards. So what we're going to we're going to throw some more laws on the books, some more rules. And then what? Selectively enforce those rules, too. At some point, you construct so many laws that you're essentially 
banning everything all the time and criminalizing everybody, and then it just becomes selective enforcement and you can target people you don't like. And that's the concern. And I've been listening to the folks on the left talk about Trump supporters, so I kind of know what your sentiments are about them. (laughs) 